Well, tonight we're going to be studying one of the most exciting and dramatic chapters in the Bible. Uh, in fact, I remember as a young boy seeing this in a movie. It made a tremendous movie, a riveting movie. What happens in our text tonight has become part of our modern conversation. Even people who don't know the Bible have often quoted this. You'll hear people say, uh, well, you can see the handwriting on the wall. And what they mean by that is they're, they're referring to some dramatic negative event that is inevitable. In other words, they may say something like, well, when, I think there's going to be a layoff at work. You, you can see the handwriting on the wall. Now, you can be a pagan and say that. But they don't understand maybe that that current day vernacular actually comes out of Scripture, specifically out of Daniel chapter 5. Would you open God's Word to Daniel chapter 5? We're, we've just got one more lesson in the book of Daniel. Uh, we'll be looking, Lord willing, Daniel chapter 6 next week. Uh, but when we come to this chapter, Daniel chapter 5, something interesting has occurred. Up until this time in Daniel chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, the king of Babylon is Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. In chapter 5, verse 1, it begins this way, King Belshazzar. And immediately we have to pause and say, wait a minute, what happened between chapter 4 and chapter 5? There's another king now, Belshazzar. What's going on here? If you dig in and if you really study the text, you'll find out that actually between chapter 4 and chapter 5, a period of at least 23 years has passed. 23 years. You say, well, how, how do you know that? Well, we know from history. Historians know that Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 B.C. 562 B.C. And in chapter 5, you'll see in just a moment, we know the exact date of what happened in chapter 5. It was in the year, I'll give you the exact date later, but it was in the year 539 B.C. So if Nebuchadnezzar died in 562, and if what we're reading about tonight happened in 539 B.C., that is a period of 23 years. Now what happened in those 23 years? Well, there were a succession of kings in Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar died. Over a period of 23 years, his crown fell into the hands of four different kings. These four kings all lived short lives, and they met untimely deaths. Chapter 5 focuses on Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar. Now, verse 2 states that his father was Nebuchadnezzar. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at verse 1 and 2. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his what? His father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and the nobles' wives might drink from them. So if you were just reading this, you would say, okay, here's what happened between chapters 4 and 5. Nebuchadnezzar died and his son... Belshazzar took over, and if you thought that, you would be wrong. Because in the Hebrew and the Aramaic language, there is no word uh, to translate grandson or grandfather. And so, if you were a descendant 
you would be referred to in the Hebrew language simply as that was my father. In other words, they couldn't say that was my grandfather. They didn't have a word for it. That was my father. I'm his descendant. I'm his son. Again, they didn't have a word for grandson. So, Belshazzar is related to Nebuchadnezzar. He is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. But there's one other thing that's very interesting that I want to call your attention to. Belshazzar's father was a guy named, if you want to take notes, N-A-B-O-N-I-D-U-S, Nabonidus. You know who Nabonidus is? Well, Pastor, why does it matter? Well, for many years there was no evidence that there was ever a man historically named Belshazzar. For many years, uh, those who study Scripture carefully, especially those of a more liberal persuasion, they, they, they used to point to the fact that Belshazzar is referred to in Daniel chapter 5, but historically there is no reference to a Belshazzar. And so they used to use Daniel chapter 5 as evidence that there are, quote, errors in the Bible. That the Bible has uh, places in it that are not historically accurate. Because there, is, there was no mention of Belshazzar. Then there was a man in 1854 named Taylor. His last name was Taylor. He was excavating in southern Iraq. And he was digging through some ruins there. And he discovered a number of cylinder tablets. On those tablets was cuneiform writing. And in those tablets he found this reference, a mention to Nabonidus and his eldest son, Belshazzar. Now we have a historical record. And here's what I want to say to you. Sooner or later, God will always validate His Word. Here's what I want you to understand. If God says it in the Bible, that is exactly the way it is. We may not understand it yet. We may not catch up to it yet. But eventually, you'll understand, you'll see that what God says is true. Alright, so just trying to give you some basic facts before we dig into what happened. One other amazing fact that I think is so interesting. We know the exact date that the events in this chapter took place. If you're taking notes, I'll give it to you. October the 12th, 539 B.C. October the 12th, 539 B.C. Historians tell us that on that night, the armies of the Medes and the Persians were captured outside the wall, the city wall, I mean, were uh, camped outside the city walls of Babylon. On that very night, while the armies of the Medes and the Persians surrounded them, surrounded the city of Babylon, on that very night, Belshazzar threw a large party. And we're not exactly sure why he threw the party. It could be that he really didn't care because he had a fortified city with multiple walls that would have to be crossed. And one historian said some of the walls were 300 feet high. Then, he had a food supply, according to historians, he had a food supply that would last for 20 years. And in addition to that, the Euphrates River flowed through the city. So it's, it's as if Belshazzar was inside this city of Babylon, inside his fortress, saying, y'all camp out all you want to, we're fine in here. 
we got enough stuff in here to take care of us for 20 years. I doubt you're going to camp out outside the walls that long. Some say he, he threw the party kind of to rub it in the face, you know, of those outside the walls. Or maybe, maybe he threw the party because he wanted to boost the morale of the people. Because they can't go anywhere. The Medes and the Persians are outside the walls. But we know for sure that it happened on October the 12th, 539. Oh, by the way, that's another example of how God's word is fulfilled. Do you remember in, in Daniel chapter 2, he had the vision of the statue? And it had four different sections. The, he, he had the, the vision of the statue with the, the head of gold, which represented Babylonia. Then, he, then according to the, to the vision, the chest and the arms were, were made of silver, and they represented Medo-Persian Empire, the one we're going to read about tonight. And then the belly and the thighs were bronze, that represented Greece. And then the legs of iron were Rome. And when you read the story of Daniel, and when you read history, you'll read these four empires taking over one right after another, according to Daniel chapter 2. It is really fascinating. All right, so in Daniel chapter 5, let's begin to read. In Daniel chapter 5, we have the instant collapse of the world's superpower. Let's read about it. Here's what happened. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles. And he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, or more accurately, his grandfather, uh, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So, so these are... These are goblets of gold and silver who were not just brought from Jerusalem. Where were they found? Where were they taken from? Not just in Jerusalem, but what were they used for? In the temple. They were actually used in worship in the temple in Jerusalem. So the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, it's not just that they drank from them. Notice what they did in the next verse. As they drank the wine, they praised the little g gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. As they, as they were drinking from these vessels, they began to praise the gods of gold. They began to praise the gods of silver. They began to praise the, the pagan gods as they drank from the, from the goblets taken from the temple. Now, suddenly, verse 5, suddenly the fingers of human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. Can you imagine? <laughs> Talk about waking you up. All of a sudden, you're drinking and you're having a good time and you're halfway high and, and you see a hand appear and you see it's writing something on the wall. 
look how he was shaken, verse 6. His face, talking about king, the king, his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. I understand that. I, I think I would have done the same. So the king called out, or he called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and the diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, and they took their turn. They tried, but, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father... Or your grandfather, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. He'll tell you what the writing means. So, Listen, there's two main characters in this story, though we haven't read the whole story yet. There's two main characters, and I want to just start with Daniel, focusing on him first. Daniel is the guy that they always call on. And I deliberately phrased it that way. Daniel is the guy they always call on. Let's, when you read this story, it's interesting. That in verse 6, the, the king suddenly sees this, and I think he probably set a record for sobriety. He didn't need any coffee to get him he didn't need any coffee to get him kind of sobered up. When he saw this hand, all of a sudden he was sober. And he called out to his, to his, his enchanters, astrologers and diviners, and that Hebrew word he called out. I'm not trying to defend anybody here, but but it it means somebody described it this way and I honestly don't remember who it was, but if if I if I let you know it was them and not me, you won't get mad at me. Somebody said, I can't remember who told me this, but somebody said, when you look at that word and it says that he called out, it means that he screamed like a girl. Now, don't get offended. I'm telling you what somebody else told me. He screamed. He screamed like a girl. I mean, have, ladies, have you ever seen a mouse in your house and you screamed? That's Belshazzar. He saw the hand in his house, and he screamed. And none of his wise men could help him. Then, this, then the queen suddenly remembers Daniel. It's interesting that Daniel's never present when he's needed. He, he wasn't present at the first dream of Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't present at the second dream. Uh, he wasn't present when the hand is appearing, writing on the wall. But they know who to call when they need him, don't they? You see, watch, listen to this. This is important. Daniel was different. He was the guy others would call on when, when they needed help. 
Can I ask you a question? Are, are, you the kind of, are you the kind of guy, are you the kind of lady that others call on at work when they need help? You know what I mean? There's always that person, isn't there, that you know you can go to them. There's always that person that when their wife walks out on them, they, they're going to come to you and talk about it. When they're having trouble with their kids, they're going to come to you and talk about it. When their parents is diagnosed with cancer, are you the go-to guy at your work? Are you the go-to girl at your work? Why was Daniel the guy that they always called on? Well, first of all, verse 11, he had a good reputation. Verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. He, he had a good reputation, had a proven track record. Verse 12, this man Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and, and knowledge and understanding, the ability to interpret dreams and explain riddles and solve difficult problems. He had a proven track record. But watch this, there's another thing. I don't have a verse for it, but you need to understand this. He was not part of the party. What do you mean by that, Pastor? He wasn't part of the drinking party. He was different. When I was in seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, in the afternoons, I worked a part-time job at W.W. W. Granger, uh, which was an industrial parts warehouse. And I worked in, in the back in the warehouse section, and uh, there was a lot of guys there who did a lot of drinking, and they liked to talk about it. And on the weekends, they, they had their women, and they liked to talk about it. And they knew that I was a preacher. They knew that I was uh, studying for the ministry, the seminary student, and to be honest with you, they were pretty nice to me overall. But sometimes they'd tease me about being a preacher, or sometimes they'd tease me about, hey, won't you go get some drinks with us today after work? And, you know, they'd, they'd just tease me about those kind of things. And, uh, but then I remember when one of them, when their mom got cancer, guess who they came to? Know why? Because I wasn't part of their drinking party. I wasn't part of their party where they were talking about what they did with the women the night before. I wasn't cussing and listening to the dirty jokes. See, you can't be the go-to guy if you're at the party. If you're going to drink with them and joke with them, and act like them, who are they going to turn to when they need Jesus? When they need somebody different from them, who are they going to turn to? You see, the fact that you're different is what makes you conspicuous when they need God. And I'm convinced you just lose all credibility when you try to blend in. Daniel was the go-to guy because he had consistency, he had character, he had compassion in his life. Maybe, maybe God's put you where you are so you can be that go-to person. 
I've got one simple piece of advice for you, and then we'll go into the next character. One simple piece of advice I would give you is this. Live like a Christian, and you'll never regret it. Live like a Christian, you'll never regret it, and someday somebody may thank you. Live like a Christian, you'll never regret it, and someday somebody may thank you. Now, there's a second main character in this story. This is one we really need to focus on, and this is Belshazzar. Belshazzar, Daniel was the guy everybody turned to. Belshazzar was the guy who treated God with contempt. You know, there are times when God gives us warnings in order to bring sinners to repentance, like he did Jonah, and uh, give him opportunity to repent. There are times when his warnings are final. There are times when there is divine judgment. And it is inevitable. And that's what happened to Belshazzar. What prompted the handwriting on the wall? What, tell me again. What prompted the handwriting on the wall? What was he doing? Using the gold goblets and doing what else? Yes, praising the gods of the gold and the silver goblets. So, let me summarize it in two different ways. First of all, Here's why he, he experienced the judgment of God. Um, first of all, we invite the judgment of God when we fail to treat God as holy. We invite the judgment of God when we fail to treat God as holy. Verse 3 and 4. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. The king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from There must have been a lot of them. For that many people to drink from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron, wood and stone. In open defiance of these holy vessels, Belshazzar taunted the God of the Hebrews with this act of desecration. He, here's his, his grievous mistake. He treated the holy as unholy. Now, I want to paint a picture for you. Be careful. Make sure you hear everything I say. I want to paint a picture for you. Imagine, if you would, visualize in your mind that we're having the Lord's Supper up here. And as we have the Lord's Supper, everything's laid out on the communion tables. And as, as we have everything laid out, imagine that a, a, a guy who is drunk staggers his way up the center aisle. He grabs a cup from the tray and he dumps the juice on the floor. And then he pours in a shot of whiskey into the cup. And then he turns around and he shouts to you, the congregation, here's a toast to the devil and all of his demons. And then he drinks it. That's essentially what happened on this fateful night in Babylon. And God said, Enough is enough. You have crossed the line when you have treated the holy as unholy. Now here's a question for you. Is it possible for us today to cross the line with God? Is it possible that we might do something and that God would say enough is enough? What do you think? I would say absolutely it's possible. I would say absolutely. You see, listen to me. 
God is a patient God and God is a gracious God and God is a good God, but God is also a holy God. And God might allow you to treat the the holy things as unholy for a time, for a season. He may give you grace. But there comes a time when God draws a line and says enough is enough. And judgment is going to fall. I mean, all you've got to do is look in the headlines. If you want to talk about church, look in the headlines and see this pastor and that pastor and this leader and that leader. And they were found out and they were, they were uh, you know, they lost their ministry. God, God simply said enough is enough. It still happens today. Here's what I want you to understand. What Belshazzar did to those temple vessels is what Satan wants to do with us. Hello. You see, Satan has no greater agenda than to tempt you to desecrate what God has consecrated. You know who the golden vessels are now? It's us. You know who the holy vessels are now? It's us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And Satan wants nothing more than to desecrate what God has consecrated. We have to be on the alert or we will fall into this trap. Now let's continue to read the story and see what happens. So Daniel, verse 13 So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and the enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple, have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king. (laughs) I love this. You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to somebody else. I don't need that stuff. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. And those he wanted to spare, he spared. And those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne, stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdom of men and sets them over anyone he wishes. We talked about that last time. That, that story is an amazing story. Now verse 22. But you, but you his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Now, put a finger there, put a mark there, go back for a moment to chapter 4. Verse 37, chapter 4, verse 37. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar 
lost his mind, went out into the field, ate grass like cattle, humbled himself, God restored him, and then look how this chapter ends, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all of his ways are just. And look at this last sentence. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You know what Daniel was saying? When he was talking to Belshazzar 23 years later, he said, do you remember that story? I know you heard the story about your grandfather. Remember that story of how your grandfather lost his mind and he was living like, a, like cattle out in the field and eating grass? Do you remember how God humbled him? And when he finally lifted his eyes to heaven, God forgave him, God restored him, and he praised the God of heaven. Do you, do you remember that story, Belshazzar? Yeah, yeah, I used to hear that all the time. And why haven't you learned from it? Why haven't you learned, as it says at the end of this chapter, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Verse 22, But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. <laughs> I want to tell you something. Everybody listen up to you, Pastor. Whenever you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven, you're going to lose every time. Every time. And so am I. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. You and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. They're not gods at all, is what he was saying. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. If you mark your Bibles, that would be a a good verse to mark. You did not honor the God who holds your life, holds in his hands your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription, and this is the inscription that was written. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Notice it's there twice. Mene, Mene. God has numbered your days and he has brought it to an end. And he said it, he repeated it basically. God has numbered your days and brought it to an end. The days of your reign and brought it to an end. Heckle, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Now, Perez, which is another form of parson as you see up in verse 25. Perez, your, your kingdom is divided and given... To who? Who's outside the walls when he's having this party? Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. <laughs> but that's not going to last very long. Because, verse 30, that very night... That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius, the Mede, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. That very night, the kingdom was taken from him. 
and another king took his place. We all have a choice. And the choice is humility or humiliation. We all have a choice. And the choice is honor God or try to stand against Him. The handwriting on the wall says, if you want to be wise at all, honor God. Is there anything in your life right now that you're kind of pushing the envelope? Anything in your life right now that maybe the Spirit of God is pointing to? And Anything where He's saying, that does not honor me. Anything in your life right now where the Spirit of God is saying, you shouldn't be involved in that? Anything in your life right now where the Spirit of God is saying, you're about to experience my judgment? that God is a patient and gracious God and you need to respond tonight if he's pointed out anything because you're more accountable tonight than you've ever been because he's just opened the word to us and he's shown us though he is patient and gracious he's also a God of judgment you do not want to experience his judgment. So it's kind of a hard way to go home, isn't it? I want you to bow your heads for, for just a minute. Bow your heads, please. Dr. Harry Rimmer, just with your heads bowed. Dr. Harry Rimmer said this. He said, no nation, leader, or individual citizen can long resist the Almighty God and win the battle. Is there any place where you're resisting God? Is there some sin that you're involved in that you refuse to let go of? We invite the judgment of God in our lives when we fail to recognize Him as Lord. Tonight, I simply ask you to recognize Him once again as Lord. God, thank You for opening the Word and helping us get a better understanding. We recognize... You are indeed Lord of all. You are a sovereign God. And you remove the kings as easily as you set up the next one. You are Lord and you are God and there is no other. May we live our lives in submission to you. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.